free. In the land of the free where the blacks enslave. Three fifths of a man, I believe's the phrase. I'm 50% of Duce and it's dead free, yeah. 100% of Ace of Spade, worth half a beat. Uh. Rock Nation, half of that, that's my piece. 100% of title to bust it up with my cheese. Uh, smokes my d- won't ever work together. You run a checker, but they never give you leverage. No red hat, don't Michael and Prince me and yay. They separate you when you got Michael and Prince's DNA. Uh, I ain't one of these house d- you bought. My house like a resort. My house bigger than yours. My spot. Yeah, you've gone over so much, Brother Gaylord, but as I mentioned, you have so many other things that I want to unwrap in this conversation. So you talked about how to calculate credit scores, but I think the next logical question is, and really it's two questions here, so I'm going to ask both of them back to back. What are the ranges of credit scores, and how can a person access their credit score and their credit report? That's a great question. Um, one, I'll go ahead and tackle uh, the range. Usually you're looking at um, somewhere from as low as 300 um, to as high as 850. Um, and when we're looking at credit scores, uh, I want you to think about the lower the number, the more of a perceived risk you are to a financial institution or a lender. The higher a number, the less perceived risk you present to a lender or a financial institution. Uh, when we talk about uh, how to get your credit report, that's a great question also because a lot of people don't know the resources out there available to them. Um, one thing I do want to drop here, and again, this is not me endorsing anyone. Um, again, this is annualcreditreport.com, okay? Um, and through annualcreditreport.com, believe it or not, um, you have the ability to, through each of the three major credit bureaus, so your three major credit bureaus are Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, uh, you can actually pull your credit report for free um, one time um, in a 12-month period, right? Um, so the game is, so the game is this, right? So you break a year down into um, quarters, right? Um, and with the quarters, I just told you that there's three major credit bureaus that you can pull from one calendar year, right? So the game here, the way you do it so that you're able to keep a running tab on your credit throughout the entire year, for the first quarter of a year, right, you want to take the, uh, you want to take, get your credit report from one major credit bureau, all right. Then you go the next quarter, you do it from the next credit bureau. All right. And then the following quarter after that, you do it from the third one. Right. And then that should be bringing you up on close to a year. Right. And then by that time, you're getting ready to come up on your year period. You can do it again. Right. So now here's the thing, though. Uh, believe it or not. And again, I'm not sure if this is still a thing. So don't quote me on it. When COVID hit, though, they actually started allowing people to access their credit reports and they being the three major credit bureaus was something they were allowing people to do weekly, right? So it wasn't even a thing where you had to wait for 12 months. Um, And why this is so important is because it's your responsibility to make sure that you keep tabs on what shows up on your credit report. Why? Because credit bureaus are not perfect, right? There are things that do get reported sometimes that are reported in error, Um, There are sometimes things that should be disputed. Um, There are sometimes things that do happen because somebody stole our identity. 
right? But if you don't pay attention to what's happening on your credit report, um, you can't find that out, right? And so the ability to, especially when they open that up during the pandemic, that you could do it weekly was so powerful because for the longest, that was never something, um, to my knowledge, that I knew that you could do. Um, and, and so it's, it's necessary to be able to know what's on your credit report because, again, um, credit bureaus are not perfect. Creditors are not perfect. Sometimes you can have, you know, misinformation on your report. Um, they may have incorrect information on your report. Um, if you know anybody that has mentioned, you know, having utilities taken out in their name at a time when they would have only been, you know, four or five years old, that's how that kind of stuff happens. Um, but again, if we are not understanding how to use resources like annualcreditreport.com to pull our credit reports, we don't ever know that this stuff is happening until we're sitting down with a lender having to have a tough conversation about it, right? And by that time, usually it's going to be too late. Um, and, and then you did ask a question about getting the score. So the thing about a score is when you go to pull those reports, they're just going to give you the full report, but not the score, right? So now when it comes to the score, each of those three major credit bureaus do offer the ability for you to purchase what your score is usually for some sort of fee, okay? Um, that That is usually going to be the most reliable way uh, to go about getting that is going through them directly. Um, but again, and you know, you have those different credit monitoring services, things like that. I won't mention any names, but sometimes things may not always be accurate. Um, but again, the only way you know that things aren't accurate is if you don't pay attention to your own uh, credit regularly anyway. Um, so I definitely would encourage people to look into the resources that are available for people um, like annualcreditreport.com to pull your credit reports for free. Um, and just be careful from the different scams that do come around of people that do offer you ways to be able to do that. Um, and it may not always be, you know, verifiable sources or um, accurate sources or, or safe places to be gathering that information from. So due diligence is definitely required. Um, there will be a lot of places that try to perform as lookalikes. Um, but again, it, it, it's our duty to make sure that we educate ourselves to be able to spot those different things. Um, but yeah, that's going to sort of answer the question. The range is typically 300 to 850. Annualcreditreport.com allows you to pull from each of the three major credit bureaus um, up to one time per year. Um, during the pandemic, they were offering it weekly. I'm not sure that that has stopped. Uh, do not quote me on that. But again, if you visit the website, they should be able to say whether or not they still do that. But that was a thing that they were allowing people to do that weekly. Again, take with that what you may. Um, if that is a thing, I definitely would encourage you to uh, obviously keep tabs on it for sure. Uh, and purchasing the score, you're able to do that. I would recommend you going to those actual three major bureaus. So Equifax, Experian and TransUnion directly uh, via their website to purchase those. And typically it comes at a cost, uh, which is usually a fee uh, associated with. It. Thank you, brother. So one of the things that I've mentioned on my show several times, different chapters is this is called a thesis. And for our listeners, please take the time to do your own research. This is base level information. Please take the time to do the research. Like my brother stated, there are some websites out here that look legit. As I've mentioned on previous shows, I am transitioning to the IT space, more specifically cybersecurity. So you want to be very cautious 
as to what website you put your social security number in, because that's how they're going to have to run your credit and run and give you your credit score. Amongst other things, they're going to ask you on verifying that you are the actual person. So some of these websites are developed by people who have malicious thoughts in mind. And they will take your social security number and the information that you plug in because you're thinking that it's a legit website and they will use that against you. And then you're going to notice the next time that you run your credit report at the beginning of the year, like Brother Gaylord stated, wait a minute, where did where did these other two, three hits come from? You probably used a um, a site that was phishing, which is a cybersecurity term, phishing for information. But, brother, let's transition and let's move on. As you stated at the beginning of this interview, this understanding finances and personal finance information is multi-layered. So once a person establishes a budget and understands their credit to a certain extent, as you mentioned earlier, maybe time to transition to think about other ways that you can build credit. One of those ways is transitioning from renting, which in a lot of cases, young adults are renting apartments or townhouses or something like that to transitioning to purchasing a home and getting into home ownership. Let's discuss the financial battle of renting versus buying. So with that being stated, what are the benefits, in your opinion, of renting versus buying a home? That's a great question. Um, It's one that, you know, I think is going to be debated uh, for years. Uh, and believe it or not, I don't think um, that one way is better than the other um, or vice versa, because again, uh, everybody's situation is going to be different. So I don't like blanket answers here um, because I could argue for renting for person A that walks in my office for some sort of financial conversation, but then I could argue home ownership for uh, person B, right? So You've got to look at where somebody is um, at their certain, you know, stage in life. Um, for our younger professionals, right? A lot of times we don't always know that one, we're going to be in an area that we're in for forever, right? And so that lack of uh, certainty and knowing that you're going to be in a certain area could steer somebody away from wanting to purchase a home, and that's okay. Right. Especially if you're not one that has the idea of, well, I could purchase a home and then, you know, rent it out when I leave. That's not for everybody. That may not be something somebody wants to do. So if you know an area is not forever for you, maybe renting is the option. Right. Um, But if you know you want to settle roots there, if you know you want to raise a family there, um, that's something that you're able to do. Um, But again, there's no right or wrong answer. Um, to that. Um, again, there's pros and cons to each. Uh, obviously, things like renting allows you, you know, obviously you, you've got somebody that if the, you know, HVAC unit goes out, you can make a call to maintenance um, at no fee because uh, it's already included with your rent um, and, and they come out and repair that. Right. But on the flip side of that, you know, that that is a, the home that, that, you know, you're living in, but you don't own it. Right. You don't get any equity out of anything that you're paying into. All right. But with a house. OK. So, you know, your HVAC unit goes out. You know, now you've got to call somebody to get it done. You know, unless you're somebody that's gifted with your hands and is able to go up there and understand, you know, what duct work needs to go where or, you know, what motor went out and those kinds of things. You know, you're probably going to have to fork out some kind of money. 
right? You know, the, you're going to have to come out of pocket uh, for some expenses um, that you may not have anticipated, right? Um, but, you know, on the flip side of that, though, everything that you're paying towards your mortgage, um, you're, you're gaining in equity, right? You're working towards ownership. So as you're paying uh, a mortgage balance down, a home is an appreciating asset, right? So um, a home appreciates in value. So all appreciate means is that the value goes up. So we'll keep it simple. The value goes up, right? So if the value goes up on the home and the amount you owe goes down, that means increased equity in the home, right? So an increased amount of money that is theoretically yours that you could take out for several different things. And we won't go into it here, but you can do things like home equity lines of credit to consolidate debt or home repairs. Like, But that's, you know, that's another conversation, conversation for a different day. Um, but an effort to make a fat one skinny, you know, a home is an appreciating asset that we can pay on a balance and the balance goes down and increases the amount of equity that we have in the home. We'll keep it right there. Brother, you, for Look, some man, of our listeners. For days, man. I can have this conversation for days, man. I could go on forever. For some of our listeners, they some of our listeners, they might not realize how you just you plant some seeds. And and it's it's amazing because on season two, I have one of our other fraternity brothers on the show, brother Stephen Allen, who mm. assisted me in purchasing my home. And he he he's gonna come back for another conversation about real estate and some of the things that you're talking about. To news with that conversation. So I would love if you have the opportunity, Brother Gaylord, because like you stated, I could I could see how passionate I can hear how passionate you are about this conversation. Maybe I could have you back for another conversation and maybe have the second part for the middle age listeners who might understand this part of the conversation. Right. This conversation might be for their nephew, their niece, maybe their teenagers but they might want the additional game. So maybe I can have you come back. And I know you stated at the beginning, you're not a financial advisor. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm not a financial yeah. advisor. So and any, yeah, anything that I talk about here is just merely my opinion and the things that are expressed here. I ask that you definitely do your own research out your financial provider um, or advisor for that information. But my brother's a subject matter expert. If, after you do your research, I'm sure it'll come back valid. So, but thank you, Brother Gaylord. So I want I want to move on to the next thing. So from a financing standpoint, because in my opinion, my opinion, I think, and I, I said this on the show with, with Brother Allen, what I hope that this conversation would be geared towards is potential students who will be transitioning from high school to college or they're in college now. And one of the things that I said in that conversation with Brother Allen is, can you imagine if somebody had said something as simple as this? Instead of instead of paying for a dorm room, what if I utilize that credit that brother uh, that Mr. Gaylord has stated that I should establish as early as possible and got me a condo? Oh, got man. I got me a townhouse townhouse at 20, 21 years old. And I know I'm not going to be here forever. But I was going to rent during this time period anyway. And guess what I can do in that time period? I can stabilize the amount of housing and housing expense. This goes back to what you said, assigning each dollar, right? 
I can stabilize my housing expense, at least for these next three years. I know I'm only going to be here for three, four years. I'm going to probably move to Charlotte, Atlanta, you know, the typical places for a lot of people, right? Houston, you name it, right? I'm going to move to one of those places. But at least while I'm here, wherever here is for you, because I have listeners across the United States, wherever here is for you, you can stabilize how much your rent is because rent has significantly increased across the United States, especially if you're in the Sun Belt. If you live in North Carolina and you're one of our listeners, you know rent has significantly increased. But from a, from a financing standpoint, what are some of the additional steps that you would recommend, just a recommendation to our listeners who is considering and purchasing a home relatively soon? That's a great question. Um, and I'll definitely speak to it from the lending standpoint. I know you mentioned, you know, Brother Allen came on the show and he definitely was probably able to speak to it um, from his standpoint. Um, so I'm going to give the game from the lending standpoint. When you walk into our offices, uh, come in with your financial folder already intact. Right. Um, and, and what I mean by that, you know, come in one. People don't understand the importance of coming in with identification. You know, they're, they're walking into the office, you know, hey, Mike, I want to apply for a loan. OK, who are you? You know, you know, wh- where, where are you from? Where do you live? Where do you currently reside? Right. So having some form of identification on you, um, I always recommend always have two forms of identification ready to be able to prove who you are. Right. Um, next, uh, people are coming. They want to apply for a loan. OK, well, where do you work? Right. What, what kind of income do you have? That's the kind of stuff that we need. Right. So. If you're a W-2 employee, right, you you should most likely be ready to bring in, you know, pay stubs, um, a W-2. Um, if you're self-employed, uh, you need to be looking at most likely having your tax returns um, ready. Specifically, they're going to want to see things like um, your Schedule Cs, um, if you have any K-1s, you know, things like that. And again, that's a deeper conversation. Um, but again, have your income verification with you, right? So identification, income verification. And I always, always, always tell people this. There should never be, when we get to the point of talking about credit, that there's something that I bring up to you that you do not already know about, right? Because if we're doing what we're supposed to do, if we're using our resources like annualcreditreport.com, if every four months we're pulling one of the three major credit bureaus to be able to keep uh, track of our credit, we should already know, okay, when he you know, brings me up and talks about this, you know, I'm already ready to uh, give an answer, right? So if there is anything negative that goes on to say, you need to have an explanation ready, right? Because what you got to understand is as your lender, I'm the one that has to go to bat for you when the file gets to an underwriter on why I feel like this is an appropriate risk or this is a risk that I feel like we should take and the individual will be able to pay that, right? So if you want me to go to the table for you, I need you to bring to the table for me why something was the way that it was, why it happened. I need you to be transparent about what your financial situation was in this moment. Um, so again, I need identification. I need income verification. Um, I need credit explanations. I need you to be able to know what's on that credit report so that there are no surprises, right? A credit report is just an organized list of information related to your credit activity. I need you to know what's going on so that when I pull that report, we're able to discuss, you're able to tell me in detail, you're able to be transparent about whatever things may have come up. Um, those are conversations we need to be able to have. 
Next, you need to be able to show me proof of funds for closing, proof of funds for closing. A lot of people don't realize it's, you know, hey, you know, it's just, hey, I want this house. I need to get pre-approved. I need to go get me a realtor. And they think that's it, right? Okay, well, what about when you're at the attorney's table at closing? What about when they send you that HUD statement or they're sending you that closing disclosure that says you need to wire X amount of dollars for closing and you don't have anything in the bank, right? Oh, well, well, can't I just go get a loan, Micah? Yeah, that, that, that might not be the best because what is that? Another debt that you're not adding to your debt load, which could put you outside of guidelines and throw you outside of qualifications for the home that you probably already put X amount of money down for due diligence and X amount of money down for earnest money, right? So these are things that you need to think about. So if you don't have enough money ready for closing costs, if you don't have enough money ready for down payments, now don't get me wrong, there are closing cost assistance programs and down payment assistance programs, but if we're speaking in general here, you should be thinking of making sure that you do have things like down payment money ready if you need it or closing cost money ready if you need it or miscellaneous expenses. You know, there are credit report fees at some places. There are application fees at some places. Um, there are origination fees at some places. Um, there are appraisal fees, inspection fees, test inspection fees. These are things that come up that we don't get educated on enough. We always talk about the glitz and glamour of the process, but nobody likes to get down in the mud and keep it real about those different expenses that are going to come up um, and those expenses that you can't prepare for that might come up, right? Or that you may not expect, right? So we got to make sure that we're having deeper conversations about what the process fully entails so that we're going to the table, we're able to go to lenders, and we'll be able to have those educated conversations like we need to. And then the last thing I always like to tell anybody that comes and sits down with me and talks to me or is in the process of preparing to get ready for this home ownership or, or the purchase of a home, you need to be able to go in and have a conversation filled with substance, right? It's okay to not know something right, but it's not okay to not do the research necessary to be able to go in and have a good conversation, right? So I always tell people that person that you are going in there to apply for a loan works for you, right? So they should be able to answer questions about any loan product that you are going in to ask about, you know? They should be able to tell you, is this a fixed rate mortgage? Is this adjustable rate mortgage? Does it have PMI, right? Does it have um, this kind of origination fee, that kind of fee? What are the fees associated with this? These are not conversations that we're comfortable having because nobody's educating us on the, on, on the ability or, or how to have them, right? That's where I come into play. That's where my passion is, you know? I always joke and say, you know, your lender's going to be mad at you when you come in and, and you've talked to me. And they're like, why you say that? I said, because you're going to ask them questions they don't get asked on a daily basis. You're going to read the fine print on closing disclosures and promissory notes that most people just browse by and, and, and just you know, sign because you say sign. No, 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 no. You're going to understand what you're signing. You're going to understand what you're applying for. You're going to know how to ask your lender, hey, is this a hard inquiry or is this a soft inquiry? Which credit bureaus do you report to? Because again, not everybody reports to all three, but a lot of people don't get that. Or who do you pull from, right? Because I don't report to everyone. Some people may have credit with one credit bureau and not have credit with another, right? So these are all things that you have to think about, all things that you have to consider. It's more than just, I want a three-bedroom, two-bath, right? That That is a part of the process also, but so is this conversation, right? 
And having substance-filled conversations allows us to be able to make sure that we are doing something that is financially beneficial for us. Substance-filled conversations. You know what? This conversation today is substance-filled conversation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you said so much. And once again, as I stated at the beginning of this conversation, brother, when I was formulating the questions, I was thinking, what do I wish I could have asked someone like you at 17, 18 years old to set me up for this game called life. Like I mentioned, um, brother, brother Allen was on the show. And I, for our listeners who uh, have not listened to that show, the name of that show is the Monopoly Game 101. And there's some terms that Brother Gaylord mentioned, PMI, some other terms you, you mentioned in regards to purchasing a home that Brother Allen went over. So if you're not familiar with what those acronyms are, please go back to that particular chapter and we go over that. But hopefully I can have Brother Gaylord come back and we can have an additional conversation if time permits. At the beginning of this conversation, we talked about paying yourself first, brother. Absolutely. And one of those things that I think about in paying yourself first is retirement. At 19, 20 years old, the average, unless you come from a family that has those conversations with you relatively early in your adult life, you're not thinking about retirement at God willing, if you got a federal job, you know, in 20, 25 years, state job, you're not thinking about 45, 50, 55 years old. You're not thinking about that. But it is of my opinion that the sooner you start, the better you are because compound interest is an amazing concept, brother. <laughs> I'm sure you can speak to that at length, but compound interest is an amazing concept. With that being stated, what are some steps as a young adult that they should take in saving for the retirement? And then another question, I'll just go ahead and just lay all the questions out there. There, there are some people that, that at, as we think about retirement, the common thought process is 401ks. Via your job. That's normally what people talk about. Now, granted, this is just a overall conversation. Granted, there are going to be some families that have had other conversations about stocks and bonds and this and that and the third, but commonly 401k. So my second question, my addendum question would be, what are some other ways that a person can save or prepare for retirement? Those are great questions, man. The, the first step uh, that I would always say is start, start tomorrow. You know, the truth of the matter is that there are going to be people who listen to this show. They may not have a bank account yet. Is that a bad thing? No, they may not have been educated. Right. But you will be shocked at how many individuals in this target audience um, that we talk about that I deal with on a daily basis that may not have bank accounts yet. Right. And that's 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 troubling to me, because, again, when we look at the reality of black and brown communities, that that that's not the same reality for our counterparts. And so that lack of education, uh, again, puts us behind the eight ball. That lack of education then creates a domino effect that you see us working longer into, you know, adulthood, if that makes sense. Nothing against that. Right. Some people do want to work like that. But if you're like me, I'm not punching the clock for forever. I'm not right. I, I, I'm already thinking about the the exit plan. Right. And if you if you're not honest, if you can't be honest with yourself and say that, then I encourage you to evaluate some things. 
Um, but again, that, that, that's a different conversation. Um, but again, you, you do hear things like the 401k. Um, and, and, and the thing is, you can argue for it. You can argue against it. That's not what I'm here to do. Right. I think a lot of times everybody wants to argue about something, but nobody wants to research and do, you know, what the pros may be. Right. Because there's things like matches that your employer can give you where you contribute X amount um, and they'll contribute, you know, an amount up to certain figures. Right. So it, it's not that there's anything wrong with a 401k. In fact, I think there's some benefits to anything that's geared towards helping for retirement. Right. Um, but again, outside of that, you've got things like your individual retirement accounts. Right. So you've got what's called traditional IRAs and you've got what's called Roth IRAs. Um, and and the, just a quick difference between the two traditional IRAs, you contribute with pre-tax dollars. Right. So your money doesn't get taxed until um, you withdraw it on the back end. What you'll learn is the IRS is going to get theirs. Um, and then with the Roth. Roth is after-tax dollars. So you're contributing to a Roth with after-tax dollars, right? So those are two ways um, that you see um, Brother Bernie talked about uh, stocks, uh, bonds. You'll hear things like mutual funds. And again, you know, for a deeper insight, again, you know, we encourage you to reach out to financial advisors or have conversations with those professionals. But these are common terms that, you know, I want you to be able to take to those professionals and say, hey, I heard X, Y, and Z mentioned can you give me some more insight? Can you give me some more gain? Um, you got stocks, bonds, mutual funds, um, real estate. Um, there, there's a plethora of different ways. You know, there's not, you know, just one option that you have to have. In fact, what's wrong with you having more than one, right? A lot of times we think that there can only be one way, and that's not the case. Uh, in fact, I believe in diversifying the buckets, right? Having a little bit here, having a little bit there. Uh, investing a little bit in this and, and buying a little bit of that. I think it's a good thing to be able to have several different avenues so that your portfolio is diversified in a way so as to not put you in an adverse situation should something go sour with one of the things that you do have your money in. Uh, because that's what nobody really talks about is that, you know, they always talk about, well, what can I make from putting my money, you know, in X, Y, and Z? Nobody talks about potential losses, right? We, we're always, we're always risk averse when it comes to, you know, making money. Um, but when it comes to our risk tolerance is always high when it comes to making money. But is it still high when it comes to potential losses that we may experience because of that as well? OK, uh, but I definitely think uh, 401ks, IRA. So whether it's traditional or Roth, um, you've got things like your stocks, bonds, real estate, just to name a few. Um, and a tons of different avenues after that as well. So building off of that, what are some tools, online possible tools? And once again, listeners make the best decisions for you. But are there some tools that one that our listeners can utilize that can help them determine what their potential retirement budget is? Because hopefully your retirement budget, your retirement monthly budget is not the same as your current budget that you need. So. Are there a tool or tools that you would recommend or resources that a person can reach out to to determine that retirement budget? Absolutely. Uh, one thing that I do like to always mention, most financial institutions, um, if you pay attention, um, they have some sort of retirement calculator embedded into their websites. Right. So that's one place that I would definitely encourage um, everybody to start with. 
um, is what does your financial institution have on their web page? And, and, it, and it will do things depending upon how extensive those may be. It will do things like ask you, you know, what, what do you want your, your, your retirement income to look like on a month to month basis? Uh, when do you want to retire by? How much do you currently have saved? So it can kind of paint the picture for you of whether you're on the right track, whether you're not on the right track, or whether there's some things that you need to do different um, or what you could do different to help put you where you want to be. Um, you can even go on things like Google and people don't realize and just Google retirement calculator. And you'll be surprised at a lot of the credible sources and resources that do pop up that one can use. Um, but those are definitely one thing or basic things that I would encourage people to do. Um, look for those retirement calculators that are embedded in the sites of these different financial institutions and just play around with it. Play around with different hypotheticals, you know, just so you can see where you are, where you want to get to um, and those sorts of things. Absolutely. And like Brother Gaylord mentioned at the several minutes ago. After you use those basic tools, then that can put you in a position where you can have an educated conversation with a professional financial advisor to set you up for your retirement. If you already have an idea of what you're looking at, you've already used the online tools that can help you and put you in a position that when you are sitting in front of someone that may or may not be charging you on an hourly rate, that you can have an educated conversation with that person. But. One of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times at the beginning of this conversation, Brother Gaylord, is you were willing to offer up some information uh, just in case anybody wants to reach out to you. So what is that information, contact information that someone can reach out to you? Um, I'll have you say it verbally, but I'll also put it in the liner notes for the show. And then, as I always do, I'll conclude this conversation with your thesis statement. So if you want to wrap all that up in one, that would be greatly appreciated, brother. Absolutely, man. Um, again, I can be reached. Um, my, my business line is 336-454-4201. Um, when you do call, you can just ask to speak with Micah Gaylord. Um, again, via email, I can be reached at my personal email. So first name, last name. So Micah Gaylord 22 at gmail.com. Um, and then you've also got last name, first name at AOL. So it's Gaylord Micah at AOL.com. I can be reached via email there also. Um, and then again, if you are interested in having a further conversation um, or interested in having somebody come out to educate any sort of community groups, schools, classrooms, um, teachers, I do look forward to hearing from you, working with you, dialoguing with you about how we can continue to push the conversation of intentional education that reaches the target audience sooner and planting those financial seeds necessary to uh, lessen those generational wealth gaps um, and, and racial poverty gaps um, in today's generation. So like I always do, I always give my guests an opportunity to offer their thesis statement. If you had to give a thesis statement about this conversation, what would that thesis statement? You know, it's great that you asked that. You know, mine is actually, you know, pretty simple. It's probably not going to be as long as you know, a lot of people's might be, but mine is simple. And one thing that I, you know, really try to live my life by, um, it's, it's going to be pursue passion. The dollar signs will follow. So it's pursue passion. The dollar signs will follow. I mean, it just goes back to my story earlier about, you know, doing what everyone else said I should do, uh, when it came to a career, 
um, and not pursuing what it is I was actually passionate about um, when it came to a career. So if you pursue passion, I do feel that the dollar signs will follow. And as an addendum to what you said, Brother Gaylord, I would recommend to our younger listeners, the sooner you figure out what that passion is, the better off you are. In closing, listeners, I hope that you have received some insight. If not for you, then maybe for someone else. For my new and returning listeners, thank you for your support. You could be doing anything, but you are choosing to spend your time with us. If you would like to provide feedback on this chapter, or if you would like to be a guest on the thesis, please email me at the thesis 111 at gmail.com. As I always say, welcome to the thesis, a podcast where we unlock the thoughts of time. Please be encouraged. You know what free is? What's free? Free is when nobody else can tell us what to be. Free is when the TV ain't controlling.